This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hey guys, uh, welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe. This is Matteo Rizzi, executive producer of the show. We are live from Web Summit. This is a special. I'm here with my good friend Didier, Didier Lallemand. Actually, you will be surprised. In the meantime, if you're not aware, he changed his role uh, and is now CEO of Trezor, but also one of the pillars of uh, SG Ventures. Didier, welcome back to Breaking Banks. Thank you, thank you very much. Actually, it's my first Web Summit, so uh, wow, very happy to be here with you. So let's start from there, because it's actually my first Web Summit as well. You know, okay. what, what, what are the feelings of this huge, huge event? You said it, it's huge, uh, beyond what I could imagine. Uh, so, you know, it's going to be very hard to uh, make everything and go everywhere in even three days. Uh, <laughs> and, and there's so many people here. Uh, the attendance at our booth was, you know, from this morning on very, very heavy. So a lot of people to discuss with, a lot of people to meet. Uh, great event, definitely. Great. So uh, I want to get it a little bit, uh, you know, personal here in the sense that uh, we don't have a lot of opportunities to talk to talk with a like a 30 say good years you know in in a banking space <laughs> you know brought into the like a venture capitalist investing which is per se was already like a, a, a big shift mm -hmm. you know and then another big shift now like heading uh, you know a, a grown up like like Trezor why don't you like put things back in context, uh, told, um, tell us a little bit the history, how Trezor has been acquired, and uh, how did you get uh, into leading this uh, uh, this subject company? Well, actually, it's it's interesting because um, when I move out of finance after my whatever 30 years in banking uh, into innovation and uh, venture, it was exactly at the same time as uh, when Societe Generale Group bought Trezor, mm -hmm. beginning of 2019. Mm -hmm. So from my very beginning as SG Ventures, uh, I was actually overseeing Trezor as one of the uh, uh, major investments done by Societe Generale Group. Uh, but I wouldn't say it was as an investor, it was a bit more than that because Société Générale had taken the majority stake, uh, but it was still, you know, from quite a high level strategy, roadmap perspective, not on the ground. Uh, and we had our two funders, uh, which were, uh, you know, managing the company uh, as, they, uh, as they were doing since 2016 when it was launched. And uh, after three years of you know quite intense discussions, because Trésor being you know leader in the Bass is one of the key milestones for society development in the bank as a service, uh, and that was the reason why we acquired it. So we had you know very uh, interesting discussions on how should we scale Trésor, what was the strategy, uh, and uh, with Eric and, and Xavier, and uh, you know after three years. Well, even though collaboration was great, and, and when we bought Trezor, it was like 50 people. 
now we're going to be more than 200 people uh, in, in Trisor. So, you know, the, 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 all the roadmap that we had decided from the beginning in 2019 was really executing very well. But, you know, they decided that they wanted to have uh, other type of challenges. Of course. And so, uh, and what, that was beginning of May, uh, I stepped in when they decided to, uh, to retire. Uh, and so, since a bit more than six months now, I've been on the ground CEO uh, for Trisor. So, you, you saw the challenges, you know, of uh, Trisor being, uh, I don't want to say integrated, but like uh, being part of the Sogen family, okay? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but you saw it from two different angles, right? So from uh, like the investor angle and now with the CEO angle. Like, share with us a little bit, uh, you know, what these challenges were, beside the obvious one, which is, you know, a new company integrating a big corporation. Of course, there are mechanisms that, you know, maybe at the beginning don't always talk, you know, well together, but what else? So I, I would, you know, take it from the two angles, from a strategic angle, which was my first one, uh, discussing uh, on how we should grow Trisor. There, there were really, you know, opportunities uh, to scale up Trisor in mostly two ways. One was adding to the Trisor offer, the core offer of Trisor as a bank of a service, uh, as a service, uh, additional capabilities coming from Société Générale Group, namely credit, uh, which you know is something Trisor cannot offer by itself. Of course, we have subsidiaries in the Société Générale. So the development that was enriching the Trisor offer by adding components of Société Générale was you know, very clear from the start, and ex it is executing very well. The second uh, dimension that we had decided also that we would leverage uh, Société Générale on was internationalization. Uh, Trésor was born in France with French customers as a start, you know, very successful. Natural path was to grow in Europe and Société Générale, you know, was a good partner having presence in pretty much all European countries to help Trésor grow in, in that direction. So that was the strategic. And you know, it was very clear. Now when you move into the CEO shoes and you see the execution of the strategy, then you know, things are not different, but you, know, you face challenges that you do not see when you're only talking about the strategy. So execution is you know, sometimes harder within a group like Société Générale because you have to abide by a certain number of rules. And so you know, sometimes things can take a little bit longer than they would have taken in a pure startup uh, environment. On the other side, uh, we're also benefiting from synergies, even you know, synergies you would not naturally think of. When you establish an office in Germany or in, you know, you have to hire people, with German contracts, you have to pay them. And so, you know, having HR people in Société Générale Group knowing all that, it, it looks like a little bit thing, but it helps a lot. And of course, the business uh, is, of course, paramount, which we have our friends from the global payment services that are established in all European countries. And so we are able to exactly replicate the offer that we have for Trésor in France, building it again in those countries where we will open uh, local IBANs in Germany, Spain and Italy. And this is only possible because, or it is mostly possible because we are uh, helped by our friends from the Sustainable Group. So uh, I think that your journey is specifically interesting in the I want to say people management, uh, you know, aspect of the of the job. You know, I've got actually a couple of friends. I, I'm thinking right now of my friend Sergio, 
Sergio Zocchi from United Ventures, who became the CEO of October, you know, and October be one of the investees of the of the fund, you know, and he was telling me, you know, what the dynamics in managing people as a CEO versus uh, you know the advisory part uh, as an investor you know hmm? changes completely I, I, I would I would love to have your your sharing of experience on this that's I think you 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 know summarized it quite well as an investor or board member in a way you are an advisor you're helping shape the strategy you're challenging the choices you're you know bringing expertise but you're not doing it and and when you become a CEO and you have to you know make decisions on the day-to-day -day, like you know 25 decisions per hour uh, on all types of topics I mentioned HR compliance risk business of course uh, IT you know all those topics as a CEO you have when it you know it's necessary to say the final word decision yes no and people look at you and you know they're looking for you to make decisions as quickly as possible because time runs fast and you definitely have a, a, a view of you know I'm not thinking of how can I help I need how can we do and so you're you're really part of the game you're not on the side looking at it and and helping you're in the middle of the team and, and that really changes the dynamics I was actually, if I if I may ask this this question, you know, because we know each other for a, for a while, of course, you have a super strong like a financial background, you know, modeling. This something that is, uh, you know, more than your daily bread for for such a long time. And you know, as he, we always say that in a grown-up, uh, the CEO is always the first sales guy of the company, right? Mm -hmm. I wonder, and uh, it's a genuine question that I have. Uh, how did you deal, you know, with yourself putting in 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 the shoes of a, of a sales guy, or like representing the company, but with a strong push, right? Because it's you know, you're the first sales guy of the company, you're the face of it. How how was it for you? Well, I think you know the timing was also right because Trisor uh, is a scale up, and we all know that we're living times where you know the number of customers or clients is not the you know main metric anymore. Profitability, it, it doesn't have to be now or even next year, but it has to be on the horizon. And and profitability, you know, necessarily you need to manage risks, and you need to be able to measure what are the risks and, and your risk appetite, because the growth is very good in order to scale from you know uh, 50 to 200 people or from two to 100 clients, but. At one point, and especially when you're successful, you start to have to select your clients based on you know, what is the common profitability that we can achieve together as partners uh, in, in the next uh, years. So having this you know, mindset and this uh, experience in, in risk management and finance, which is a way of you know, doing it, helped me. In, in helping the teams and the sales teams identify and maybe the risk know, versus opportunity exactly, as and well, qualify right? yeah. better uh, risk and opportunities. Actually, you what you just said made me like a, a link to another question, which is: Do you think that the fact that the Trezor is owned by a bank gives you like a competitive advantage in maybe instead of like going? Uh, cold calling and say, hey guys, you know, do you have a project we can work with? But those people find Trisor more attractive because they think, you know, there is uh, the group behind that will actually make things smoother or at least uh, easier to reach. 
I think it you know probably depends on who are our clients, our, our two main you know client groups. On one side, the ones we started with the fintechs, and, and we you know we start with fintechs that don't even have clients yet because they're building their product with us and then yeah. go to market and find their clients. From a fintech perspective, you know Trisor is on its own big enough with the reputation of having launched you know unicorns, yeah. so they don't have an issue with that. But we're also addressing corporates, big corporates, you know CAC 40 and uh, FT uh, whatever. So for those, the, the, the looking at a partner is you know quite a different way, and having a partner who is part of a huge group like Societe Generale is definitely a plus because two ways one they know that we're here to stay you know we have the backing of uh, uh, you know multi-billion group so we do not depend on the next funding round we're here part of a strategy and the second thing is we invested a lot thanks to being part of Société Générale in compliance and for those corporate actors having a partner that is compliance proof you know banking grade compliance is also definitely something very uh, important. And I would add a third thing on top of compliance, which is cybersecurity. Again, here being part of a huge group, you know, it, it's no. mandatory that we uh, invest in, in, in that field. And for our partners, and especially the corporates, it's very important. How challenging is uh, to like uh, keep, especially with large corporations, how challenging is to keep this agility, you know, of uh, a grown-up because a startup will be too reductive versus you know comply with the the, the mom's rules you know of the uh, of the company is can you navigate you know and, and and find a good compromise how easy is to find this compromise I wouldn't say it's easy uh, and and again you know uh, in discussions that we're having with corporates uh, we need to find a balance sometimes uh, some of them were looking at us saying you guys, you're the fintech, you should adapt to us. So these are our specifications. Please, you know, uh, your API is fine, but please adapt your API to conform to our specification. Yeah. And then we have to tell them that, you know, this is not the right way to do it because if they want to leverage on our 100 plus clients and you know, the mutualization that we achieve with that, they have to adapt to our API. So in the end, sometimes we find a middle ground, you know, with a small interface in order to make sure that everyone's happy with it. But uh, it, it's never easy. We have always to find a balance. When we're talking to fintechs, you know, it's easier because we tell them, you know, this is an API that has been successful with 100 clients use it when you're talking with a big corporate that has legacy systems that has you know all its uh, history uh, it, it sometimes can be a little bit more challenging last question that one will make you think so name in this first uh, like a half a day or three quarters of the day mm -hmm. one conversation without specifying uh, you know the client or the person or the title but Describe one conversation that sort of sticks today here at the Web Summit. Uh, I think it was, you know, a prospect, uh, someone that came to our booth and uh, asked me about, you know, our ability to uh, create virtual cards in order to solve, you know, a payment problem. And it was a very interesting discussion. You know, we were, you know, quite, it, it was a short discussion, like 10, 15 minutes, but, you know, digging very directly into what is your client's problem, what are you trying to achieve and how can our you know, platform answer that? 
So you know, it's something that I much, very much like uh, to do, and that our you know our sales teams are you know much better than I am because they know the product, uh, of course, much better than I do. But coming from you know solving a customer problem and trying to see how we can help in that, it's it's always very refreshing. I really like the idea the fact that you always uh, you, you you never recuse yourself from uh, putting yourself at play into into a new game, right? So this is since since uh, uh, I've known you for like a couple of years, that's already the second time. So I salute you know this uh, this uh, courage to put yourself in the game every time with a new players. Thank you very much for being with us once more. Thank you very much for having me. And guys, this is a break. Thank you. The FTS Group builds innovation ecosystems. We engage incumbents, investors, entrepreneurs, technology partners and regulators to build trusted and connected fintech tribes around the world. We firmly believe that innovation in financial services will truly improve people's lives. Learn more on ftsgroup.eu. Hey guys, welcome back. This is the SockJane Takeover. I'm here with my dear friend, Claire. Claire is the CIO of uh, uh, Société Générale. She's overseeing the, the funds operation and much more, the corporate, their corporate venture capital. And she's also one of the pioneer of the Web Summit. She's at participation number seven. Claire, welcome back to Breaking Banks. Thank you, Matteo. I'm delighted to be there today. <laughs> So tell us a little bit before we get we dive into you know what we want to talk about which is going to be trends and specifically some of the you know um, high talked about themes of this web summit on the fintech uh, on the fintech space. Let's talk a little bit about your experience of these seven years at Web Summit. <laughs> oh my God, was it really that small seven years ago? Yeah, it was. It was much smaller. I remember. Uh, you know, it was coming from Dublin, and they were looking for a bigger space. So they made an agreement for 10 years with uh, Portugal to host uh, in Lisboa uh, Web Summit. And I think what we can be very proud because what I've been following over the seven years is not all the stage are staying. And actually, MoneyConf, I've been there uh, for seven years, which means there is a high interest of uh, participants, but also a high level of startups in Europe and of investors to maintain the stage. And I think, you know, what I can say is I remember seven years ago, Anne Boden was probably already on stage with me. And, uh, you know, I remember Mike Lavin from Currency Cloud, you know, they were very small startups. Yes. And, you know, now Currency Cloud was sold for 400 million or 800 yes. million to Visa. Yes. Uh, Anne is obviously you know, uh, Sterling is you know, a Sterling multi-unicorn. Like multi-unicorn. Yes. Remember Nick Stonsky, of you know, course. from Revolet, he was in the small stage of MoneyConf, and now he's like in the central stage talking about how is it disrupting the industry. So I think, you know, yeah, not only Web Summit was small, but also the companies and the fintech uh, uh, were quite small. And now, you know, wow, what, uh, what a journey it has been. It is actually a great transition to, uh, you know, the, the, the central themes of this conversation, which is let's talk a little, a little bit where the fintech industry is going. You know, uh, this morning, uh, you know, they, a, a, a TV channel from Italy woke me up at 8 a.m. in the morning because it was nine for them. 
and they asked me abruptly, like uh, with my coffee, you know, what are the fintech trends, you know? And uh, are you you inside Web three? <laughs> exactly. Oh. And and I said Web three, of course, you know. And I said no, like more seriously, to me, Web three is more like a fear of missing out. It, it was more like, a, in my humble opinion, I said financial health. You know, two words is financial inclusion in uh, um, uh, developed markets because people today are not good in dealing with their money. Not only the mass affluent, but especially the lower, the middle to lower class, especially with this inflation that is rising, you know, there will be more and more people in need for financial education. So this is to me one trend. What would you say? Anna, you know this topic is very close to my heart because one of the reasons I choose financial services to implement digital is because digital enables everyone to have access to a more sophisticated way to save money, to build your wealth, which you know traditionally was more only accessible for people that can have a private banker, that can do this type of thing. So I think financial wealth in developed countries um, is definitely still at the top of the agenda. And when we enter such a difficult economic context with um, you know, inflation and everything, I think more than ever, uh, you know, it's the role of banks to really close uh, to our customers and to see how can they save. I remember when I was living in the UK, uh, you know, the stat was 50% of the population don't fully understand what mean 50 percent and you know we worked a lot uh, with uh, martin and fox and you know what she was doing for digital everyone and you know we, we were seeing that if people understood how can they harness digital they can save up to 427 pounds a month i think uh, a year which m means a lot of course you know, uh, for, for things so i think this is still much center um you know and when i've, I've been at society general for four years i remember at the beginning, we are selling like you know between one to five percent online products, and today, in average, you know, countrywide, all over, you know, we have several banks in uh, in France, but also Africa, Czech Republic, Romania. I think the average is around uh, 20, 28 percent. So we are seeing more and more uh, consumer harnessing uh, digital, and you know, it's very important that they understand what type of products they are buying, how can they subscribe this product, and in our online bank Borsorama, for example, we are. We are enabling, you know, our customers to have um, a type of you know, online private banking, you know, robot advisor type of things, and, uh, and etc., which enables them to really build capital uh, and then do this type of thing. So, you know, it's, it's still there, and it needs to be done digitally, but also, you know, through the branches and through the conversation with uh, uh, the, the banker in some situation. And COVID have helped a little bit because now also video conference uh, is available. So you know, your, your uh, traditional banker is also more accessible. And uh, I have a direct question on this, on a specific trend, uh, for two reasons. One, because it's very polarizing, and of course it's going to be like your personal opinion as, as much as it could be, so, you know, we, we won't take, like, the Societe Generale, you know, generic view on this uh, for what you're about to say, but the buy now, pay later trend, okay? I think that in the past two months, three different journalists, you know, interviewed me about this. I don't know why, because it's a super cool acronym and everyone thinks it's a trend, but uh, there are a lot of people who think it's just another form of credit, you know? So what's your take on this? Uh, I guess people are asking a lot about BNPL because, you know, the valorization of Klarna going from, uh, you know, uh, what, what was it like? Uh, I think 80 to, to 7 billion. Exactly. Yeah, 7 billion yes. because, uh, you know, some funds enter that 7 billion and probably it's a good deal. Um, so I think, you know, that probably raised some question around, you know, how was the capital invested in this area of BNPL and why such a compression 
uh, which probably like you know 60-70 percent uh, downgrade in valuation. Um, I guess our, our take on it at Société Générale is we've been a strong advocate of the bank as a service since the beginning. Uh, we invested in Trezor, uh, which is a bank as a service platform, and this year we bought uh, PayExpert, which is a payment gateway platform. And our vision is by using the payment gateway, um, you know, we can use our payment and consumer credit arm to, at the moment of, you know, checkout and point of sales, um, provide credits. But the reality is for us, Long-term credit yeah. is really the things to go after. So short-term credit could be a go-between to gather more data in the system at the payment gateway level. And the way ADN or Stripe works is they sell this data to the e-commerce, so aggregated data, it's the individual uh, data, but they sell the, the aggregated data in order to convert the sell to the e-commerce client. So it became a real business to do that. And they are happy to do short-term credit such as BNPL in order to make it more accessible, to make sure the sale is converted. So I think that's around this e-commerce trend. We should never forget uh, e-commerce is uh, 1,000 billion uh, by, two, by, by 2030. Yeah. 1,000 billion by 2030. So if you think bank can take one, like Société Générale can take 1% of it, right? still a lot. And BNPL is one, one part of that. So. But the way you're saying it is actually another pair of shoes because it's like really a service that is embedded in a philosophy of user experience uh, where credit is part of it. This I like it. But in some other countries, especially, you know, in uh, say Africa, when, you know, BNPL became a trend as well, it is very dangerous to, you know, give credit to someone uh, you have such little data about, you know, and people becomes over adept, you know, and, and, and it becomes a, gender, a dangerous weapon. Actually, is is literally a double-edged sword because on one hand, uh, it gives you more opportunity economically, but on the other hand, uh, you know, it becomes a danger for the person, you know, to get in a spiral that becomes very complicated. So it goes together with the financial literacy, uh, you know, point that you mentioned earlier, right? Yeah, but also each point is sometimes trends are there. You know, you and I have been working a long time together and we see some trends in some markets that are not applicable in other markets. So, you know, you work in Latin Africa, we have some banks in Africa, you know, what I can observe is the way even the saving system is done, don't work the same, they have this name, you know, for the Kenyat, yeah. you know, for the wallet yeah. they are doing with the family. The Roska, you know. The Roska, exactly. Yes. So, you know, their philosophy is more around the Roska and, you know, how can I see a lot of startups that are trying to address this need through a digital channel, which are probably a stronger business model in Africa than BNPL, that as you mentioned, uh, don't have necessarily of data. So I think, and, and you and I have seen that. I remember when you remember when there was a lot of crowdfunding platforms that were inundating Europe, yes. and what they all morphed to lending and uh, absolutely, you know, to do they all pivoted by magic, right? Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think for me, you know, it's exactly the same. I hope you, uh, you know, I guess the BNP trail, if it's taking up in Africa, will quickly morph to Roscoe because that the consumer user, the consumer usage, and the consumer already drive adoption. Claire, you mentioned the down round of uh, Claire 9 is not the only one. And, uh, you know, let's uh, sort of put on uh, for a moment uh, your, your, uh, your hat of uh, uh, venture capitalist, okay? And how did you see in the past, uh, I want to say year almost, but and through the pandemic uh, as well, the change in uh, 
valuation, perspective, type of startups that get funded, you know, number of pitches that you get. Yeah, sure. You know, it's, a, it's, it's been a, like a mess, right? A little bit. Yeah, yeah, like we were, you know, it, it was like a storm in a ticket. Yeah. You know, it was like we were all new. Uh, you know, at one point, readjustment uh, needed to happen. But also, I think we need to be very pragmatic around the numbers. So for me, when I think about downturn in valuation and etc., what, what the data is telling us, there is three types of case. There are the ones that are listed, the fintech listed, are mostly in the US. There is not so much in yeah. Europe, in Wise or Gabon. Maybe Wise, exactly. Know, there is not yeah. so much. Most of the them exception. are in the US, Lemonade, Affirm, mm. you know, all this type of firm. And when we look at their data for listed company, yes, there was a readjustment at about 50% of the valuation. Plus, we've seen some layoff in the US with business models like Corbin Wood or others that are. But you, you could know, say so was Microsoft, right? They yeah, also exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was going to say. You know, it's a global trend in, a, in a, the macroeconomic yeah. environment, in tech, and etc. But it's impacted listed fintech companies if you look at the data. In Europe, it's not so clear because what happened is you have companies like Stripe or Klarna that have readjusted. So Stripe was about 38% uh, readjustment. Klarna, we mentioned 60 to 70% readjustment. But on the other, we don't have so many data. So they raised a lot of money, and there was no market event or trigger that needed for them to go out to say, I'm readjusting. So people are leaving the, the leash yeah. of this environment to say, well, I have cash, and you know, I'm going to see. And, and I focus a little bit more, and investors are focusing a little bit more on revenues and etc. and on burn rate. I mean, so I if they've been hit, we don't know it yet, you're saying? Yeah, we yeah. don't know it. So the data, at least, it's, you know, there is, we can have opinions, yeah. but the data, the track record and the facts are not uh, giving us uh, any, any information about that. Then when I look at equity and debt, if we look a, bit, a little bit around that, equity last year in fintech, we were raising worldwide 30 billion per, per quarter. 30 billion is huge. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like there is so many margins, yeah. so much business model. This year, Q1 was 30 billion, Q2 was 20 billion. We're waiting for the Q3 result. Result. So what I always say is, look at the amount of money that is still in the system for VC and for FinTech and for FinTech overall. I mean, seriously, still a huge area. If there is readjustment, you know, maybe there is a good reason for it. Maybe some deals were way too high, and actually it's probably a, to some extent, a good thing uh, that the, the, the readjustment is there. But we are seeing people are, uh, from, from the number I just told you, people are still investing in orphan Societe General Ventures. We did uh, four deals this year, plus we acquired pay experts. Yeah. So mostly in ESG, we had Ecotree, Intelligent Impact, which are ESG type play to build a financial product uh, in ESG. So for me, you know, for things that are probably quieter than a traditional VC, the pipeline was still very strong. When we look at the depth side, so what we do from the banking perspective, you know, we, we still lend the same amount of uh, depth to our clients. But what we do is we finance projects. We don't finance towards a bridge to your next round. Yep. And that's quite important. You know, when you come, you know, it's about financing projects that have a business plan, a rentability point, where we all believe uh, it's there. And you know we are quite present in France. We, the states also with the French bank BPI France distribute a lot of products. Um, you know that are supporting the growth in a very complicated microeconomics that is coming. And Société Générale distributes all these financial products. So what I'm seeing saying is, in the debt side, there is still a, a lot of uh, you know traditional debt that is there on two, three to five percent interest. 
and you have, we don't distribute this type of product, venture loan, which are more around seven to nine percent that exist, which are more done by uh, uh, funds and this type of uh, capability. So, you know, liquidity is still there on the market. After what everyone is asking is how can we access the dry powder? Because we know, you know, the amount has been raised. Yeah. So when the growth equity in Europe is going to materialize, is going to be there, what are, the, what are going to be the condition? Realistically, what we hear from funders is why, for sure, you know, like uh, uh, next year is going to be interesting yeah. uh, in, in terms of that. So, uh, do you think that uh, because of this, uh, I want to say, delicate phase of uh, some of the grown-ups, you know, that are either, you know, getting short in capital soon or not yet knowing, you know, whether or not, uh, you know, they are in, you know, in, in a good health or not. Do you think that there will be some bargains and the number of acquisitions will actually grow rather than the investments from like big players to, for example, an American player coming to Europe, uh, you know, instead of just opening up, uh, you know, their business? Uh, do you think there will be some uh, sales in Europe soon? Uh, so there is two parts to your question. What we are seeing as a trend uh, is uh, Americans or people that are not in Europe actually more seeing in the press. We are not going forward with our European plan. So Marcus have announced that you know they are focusing back on wealth, probably not doing fully the expansion of Europe. Um, a bit the same for several projects. You know, Starling have said that they renounce to their expansion in Europe through uh, the traditional banking account, and they will come with the bank as a service area. So not observing these trends, that people say it's a good opportunity uh, to do that. Then to your second point, ML is very active. You know, transaction on MA is very active, and yes, there will be consolidation for the ones that are well funded in order to, you know, reach this point of better rentability because people need, that. like, uh, you know, one of the competitors of Trezor Solaris, obviously, when they did the acquisition of the Wirecard portfolio, directly integrated a strong part of revenue when bank as a service aspect could continue to grow. So I expect to see uh, several of this type of. Uh, MA uh, in Europe. After, you know, the, the challenge in Europe remains the same. And that's why I'm so glad that we have Web Summit in Europe. Is Americans, and I think the American funds are very well understood that they arrived with American valuation, American way yeah. to price. Yeah. And, you know, the experience now that we are hearing from the American fund two years in from this strategy is actually, you know, a little bit of adjustment on, okay, actually, we price, um, uh, you know, company at the maximum of the valuation in the country of origin, and then we add ARR they can they can have in sub countries. So the mechanism around creating giants beyond unicorn have yet to be fully unplugged because Europe Europe remain a more fraction market that you can find in the US. And I think that's the type of thing we are doing at Web Summit when we have so many American investors that came back after the COVID, that we have so many brains that are coming around to talk about policies, so many governments that are coming around to support technology. But let's face it, you know, our two main challenges in life remain the same in the climate challenge and everything that will go around that. And how can we harness technology in our day, everyday life to fight for climate change but also to fight for making it better going back to your financial health. Claire, this is uh, like uh, the last interview. I don't think that we could have uh, picked a, a, a better person, you know, to, uh, to actually wrap up the Web Summit this year. Can we say 
see you at Web Summit next year, you think? Definitely, they booked me when I was out on stage. <laughs> there we go, Claire. Thank you. Thank you very much. Guys, this is a wrap from Web Summit 2022 with Claire Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.